Mark chapter 15. As we continue our journey through this gospel, we're going to see the main points really in looking at this section is that Jesus really did die. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And, you know, that's Mark's message. It's a gospel, and you've got to know this, that he died for your sins. But he rose again. His heart is that we would believe. And if we believe in our hearts, then we're saved. I mean, He died for me. He's my, my righteousness, my hope. One day when we're there or our loved one is there facing death, when they're in Christ, we're so excited to know that it's not really death in one sense. It's life. And so, you know, He really did die. He really was buried. He really did rise again. That's the primary point that Mark is trying to communicate so that we would believe. If you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you've been playing church or whatever your parents are, your friend is, you were invited somehow, that, you're the ones that God is really after most today. He loves you. He wants to set you free. He wants to encourage you with that message of salvation. So that, that's the main point. But the sub-points here, as we're going to look at the soldier, we're going to see the, the sisters, how faithful they are. We're going to look at this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. I, I come away with, with three things. Number one, be open. Number two, be faithful. And then number three, uh, be brave. And if you are open and faithful and brave, I'm telling you this, God will reward you. God will reward you. And so look what we read in Mark chapter 15, beginning first in verse uh, 39. This is where we left off. This is right after Jesus died and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It says, So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. The centurion, he was—he uh, had a front row seat. You know, he saw everything. I mean, he saw the one in charge of these soldiers. He saw Jesus executed so close to the cross. And as a result of that, like the thief we read about earlier, he was saved. I believe that more than likely we're going to see this soldier in heaven. Uh, what he saw hit him hard. In his witness of our Savior's sacrifice, and all the signs that surrounded. Remember it was dark for three hours? Remember that there was an earthquake when Jesus died at the very moment? Even the very fact that when the Lord died, it was like he said when it was done, you know? I mean, he said, okay, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, boom, everything happened. There was so much to it, the signs and the sensitivity to the, the greatest act of love Ever that man would see. He was there front row. And when he saw everything happen, the Bible says that he said, truly, this man was the son of God. You know, and, and when you look at that, it's kind of funny. I mean, you just see someone die, but then to say something like that. But as you know, it was a death unlike any other. Jesus was uh, someone like any, unlike any other in his frailty, in his, in his humility, in his humanity, but even in his deity. And so the soldiers saw, I believe we'll see him in heaven one day. Maybe we'll 
you know, be able to talk to him? Wouldn't it be cool to go to heaven one day and say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about what it was like on that day when my Savior died for me? Because he saw everything. Now, it's interesting. Matthew tells us some of the other soldiers believed too. And so, you know, just uh, as, you're, as you're going about this whole thing, you know, you wonder why such different reactions? Why were some, you know, when it was all said and done, going through the whole process, seeing Jesus die, why did some hate him? Why did some probably ignore him? Why would some, you know, soon forget him? But then there were a few that believed in him. Why? They saw the same thing. And you wonder why. And, and like I said to you, this is why. Because he was open. There was something in his heart that was open to this. You know, and I don't know if that's you. I don't know if you're one of those people who are open. God wants to meet you today. God wants to touch you today. God wants to teach you today. God wants to encourage you today. God wants to comfort you today. God wants to correct you today. God wants to counsel you today. Some, God wants to save you today. And then the question is, are, are you open to that? Or you just want to go and get out before anyone finds out your business? You know, to be open to the Lord. I mean, he woke up that morning. He probably got a, a cup of coffee. I don't know. Um, talking to his wife for a little bit. She made him some chorizo, you know, and he's going, hi, sweetheart, have a nice day at work, or what do you got going on today? Oh, a couple of crucif- oh, a few crucifixions. Yeah, another day's work. You know, you go to work, and, you know, you don't expect anything special that day. It's just another a day. It's just another Sunday, or whatever it might be, a uh, Friday. And then you go, and then you're open and then you watch something that God does that changes your life. And as a result of that, he was then able to see the identity of Jesus Christ. He says, truly, this man was the son of God. And that's a pretty radical statement coming from a pagan, Roman, you know, tough, buff soldier. But see, for us, and looking at these things, uh, it's important for us to know that the ones who saw him more closely than we have know who he is. And for us, I think it's helpful to be able to see things like this. And so, be, be, um, be open, you guys. Are, are you open? Are you open to the Lord? Man, he can do anything today, huh? He can use you when you go to Jack in the Box. I don't know why you would go there, but you go to Jack in the Box. And, hey, I want to use you to witness to someone. Or, hey, I want to teach you something. Or, I want to change your whole life today. But you got to be open. That's why he was able to see while the others weren't. And so, this soldier... He gives us the identity of Jesus. Next we read in verse 40 that there were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome, or Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, as far as we know, there weren't many male followers of Christ at the cross. Uh, we know John, the beloved, was eventually there, and perhaps Joseph of Arimathea, we're not even sure about him. Other than that, at the end of the day, the guys were gone, but not the ladies. 
hung, not the ladies. We read here about Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons, and so she had a lot to be grateful for. Can you imagine living a life with seven demons inside of you? But the Lord set her free, and she never forgot. And, you know, just as a quick side note, maybe you didn't have seven demons, but um, do you remember what your life was like before you were a Christian? For a lot of you here, you know, you weren't really raised in the church, and you went this crazy way, and Jesus Christ went running and looking and searching for you. He found you. He saved you. He set you free. He put you on a rock. He's changed your life. Now he's given you purpose. And a lot of times we forget what he has done. Mary Magdalene, she's going to be rewarded in a great way. We're going to see. Mary Magdalene is there. Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph. And this is interesting. This might be a reference to, to Jesus' mom, Mary, because Jesus did have a couple of brothers with that name. We're not 100% sure. Salome is the wife of Zebedee and the mother of the apostles, James and John. And so apparently the whole family, you know, had placed their faith in Christ. And there she is. Notice how Mark mentions they followed him and they ministered to him while he was in Galilee. You know, and it's interesting. It even says... And many other women. Many other women. And one thing I've seen in the church is that the ladies are faithful. I mean, I, I really see that. And they still are. I mean, today, back then. Where would we be as a church without the ladies? We'd be in big trouble, huh, guys? Right? Can I hear a, a masculine amen? Amen. Right, guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, you see the ladies praying, you see the ladies taking meals and cooking and the house ministry. Uh, even some of the sisters, they come into the church and they clean. And as they're here cleaning, I'll tell you what, I just like, I just, my heart melts. I walk up to him and I say, will you invite me to your mansion when we're in heaven one day? Because God is going to reward you. So amazing are the ladies, you know? Well, we read more about the ladies back in Luke 8, 23. It says, And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, many others who provided for him from their substance. So they're ministering to him. They're even giving, donating, uh, making tortillas for him, all that kind of stuff. I mean, just man, pouring into the ministry. You know, one guy said Mark may have intended these words as an encouragement to faithful discipleship among women in the church at Rome. You know, and for us, we can take it uh, as something, you know, number one, to acknowledge the ladies, but number two, to spur the brothers on. Because huh. I'll tell you what, I don't know, did you guys know this, that the typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd of 61% female, 39% male. The gender gap actually shows up in all ages. Uh, this Sunday, almost 25% of married church-going women will worship without their husbands. Midweek activities, now this is during the week, 70% to 80% are female participants. Over 70% of the boys who are being raised in church will abandon it during their teens and 20s because dad doesn't go to church. But the statistic, it radically changes when dad attends service. More than 90% of American men believe in God. 4.5 out of 6 call themselves Christians, but only 1 out of 6 actually go to church on Sundays. 
The typical Christian college in the United States enrolls uh, twice as many um, women as, as men and fewer than 10% of U.S. churches are able to really establish and maintain a vibrant men's ministry. Now, I would say we're blessed here in this church. We have a, a great men's ministry and I, I, a lot of cool brothers. But we, we need even more. You know, we need more men. Just in case there are any men here who haven't stepped up. You know, I want to encourage you to do that. The ladies are so faithful. They always have been. They always will be. They're always amazing to me. But, but we need to do the same. Now, some might, you know, look at the statistics and they, and they say, well, it's the church's fault. It's the church's fault because he doesn't talk about football enough or hunting, you know. And, and that's what they say. But, you know, and I've heard stuff like that, you know. But let me ask you a question. Was it Jesus' fault? Was it Jesus' fault that in his day it was primarily women and not men? And I know you know the answer, of course, is no. Bottom line is the sisters were faithful. They were working. And this is what we need to cultivate in our life. First thing I want to encourage you to do is believe in these things. But as you believe, uh, uh, be open to whatever God might do today, like that soldier was. And, and be faithful. We're going to see even more. They're going to be more faithful later on Sunday morning. Be faithful and continue to, to grow in that faithfulness. Faithful progress in the Christian life is a necessity, and we should actually get better in this as time goes on. This is illustrated by what many consider to be the greatest horse race ever run when Secretariat won the Kentucky Derby. You guys remember that horse? Amazing story. Each successful quarter mile in the race was run faster than the one before. The, the longer the race went on, the faster the horse ran. And we tend to do exactly the opposite. We tend to start well and we tend to fade in the end when God says, no, you're more accountable now. And so you don't, you know, distance yourself from the cross. Learn from the ladies. You know, grow in your faithfulness. Be open like the soldier was watching and be faithful like the ladies who were working. And then the third thing is to, is to be brave, like this guy Joseph. Look what we read next in verse 42. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, and that's Mark writing to the Romans, they would know this, they would have to understand this as the day before Passover. And the, the day before Passover, remember, on, I'm sorry, on Sabbath, on Sabbath you can't work. And so, this is the day that you're getting everything ready for the day that you can't work. You're making all your, you know, burritos and you put them in the fridge. You know, you're getting ready for the day you can't work, right? So it's preparation day. And what we see right here is that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and notice taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. And so when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And then he brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. So the sun had died and the sun was setting. 
right? And so the Sabbath begins at sunset where no work could be done. And so now what we have is an urgency to get the body of Jesus down from the cross. Okay, can you picture yourself there and you're in that scenario? All the ladies are watching. All the ladies are watching. They see Jesus is dead, hanging on the cross. The Sabbath is coming. What do you think the ladies did? I, I can bet almost anything. I, I bet a pretty penny that the ladies were asking around, pleading and begging for one of the guys to take Jesus' body down and bury it, lest he be eaten by animals. Not only that, it was an absolute disgrace for the Jews that a body not be buried. You guys know that. That was a Jewish culture. It still is today. I mean, you know, you want to bury a body. Even in the war, when a soldier dies, they, they take his body because how awful it is not to be buried. So, you know, I, I just know how ladies are. I know how my wife is. Something needs to get done. You know, she'll call. She'll ask, hey, guys, can you help? This is a heavy thing. We've got to unload, whatever it is. And so they're asking. They're asking. More than likely, I'll bet you that's what happened. The apostle said, no, we can't. You know, no, you know, it's dangerous. No, we can't. So, you know, somehow, this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes in. Thankfully, this man stepped up to the plate. John mentions also Nicodemus and Joseph as well. Uh, Matthew describes him as rich, and so he's a rich guy. He's a council member. He's prominent. Prior to this, uh, he was afraid to go public about his faith. We read about him over in John 19 and 38. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And so he wasn't just a council member. He was prominent, but he was afraid. And so, you know, why was he afraid? Maybe he was afraid of losing his job, his position, maybe even his life. But eventually, we all will face the crossroads of opportunity. Eventually, you have to make a choice of whether or not you're going to go full bore, become public, become bold, become brave, become courageous, and take those steps of faith that God himself is calling you to take. Because when you take those steps of faith, it's then that God moves. But a lot of people, they won't. They're afraid of so many things, sometimes even afraid of failure. And it takes the man, it takes the woman who would then be courageous, like Joseph did, and eventually face those fears. I'm not saying that you're not going to be afraid. I'm not saying that that goes away. But you face those fears. You conquer through courage. And that's what he did. The Bible says that he took courage. You know, we, we need this in life. Um, I, I was reading a story by Adrian Rogers, and he tells about a man who, who bragged about the fact that he cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. And, you know, that's like, wow, are you serious? You cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with your pocket knife. And so they asked, well, why didn't he cut his head off? People were, well, why didn't you cut his head off? He said, because someone already did. <laughs> you know, I think a lot, yeah, we'll get, we'll get courageous, you know, when it's nice and safe and nice and comfortable and nice and cozy. Let me tell you, bro, that doesn't count. You got to, there has to be a certain risk involved. There has to be a certain something about it where it requires 
faith, because faith is the key that opens the door to God's intervention. And that's what Joseph did. Come what may, he approached the governor, Pontius Pilate, he asked for the body of Jesus, and uh, Pilate marveled that he was already dead. Now typically, you know, uh, a crucifixion would take somewhere around 32 hours. Um, there are some that 18 days they were hanging on the cross. And so Pilate was a little surprised that, that he was dead. Um, there's some things about that that I don't quite understand, but I do know that Pilate was surprised. Uh, maybe, I think, uh, trying to put it all together, probably because he knew there was something special about Jesus. I think he knew that. And so he was surprised that he was dead. But really the main point what Mark is trying to make right here at this juncture in the story is that he was dead. It was validated by the professional executioner, the soldier. He went, yes, he's dead. Then what does he do? He releases the body. The soldiers saw it. They didn't have to break his legs. If you read the Gospel of John chapter 19, they pierced his side. When water and blood came out, it was, a, it was basically a manifestation that his heart had been ruptured. He was dead. He was done. That was for sure. You know, and so, you know, we got to know that, you know, Jesus died. Because there are some out there that are weird. You guys know that. Have you guys ever heard of what's called the swoon theory? The swoon theory is the theory that Jesus never really died on the cross, but that he was crucified he came close to death, but didn't die. And it further states that he was taken down from the cross, laid in the tomb. And after three days, the coolness of the tomb revived him. And he managed to roll away the stone, get past the soldiers that were there set as guards, and come out of the tomb and appear to the disciples, making them think that he'd risen from the dead. Now just think, smart people believe that. I mean, talk about, doesn't the Bible say, professing to be wise, they became... Fools. What a fool. How would anyone think such a silly story, but they're out there? Another suggests, and these things are late. These are probably in 1700s where really they became popular. But 1780, the one came out that Jesus deliberately faked his death using drugs provided by the physician Luke to appear as a spiritual Messiah and then get Israel to abandon the idea of any political Messiah. Around 1800, there was another a German theologian who proposed that a group of supporters dressed in white who were with Jesus, members of a secret society, had not expected him to survive the crucifixion, but they heard him groaning uh, from the inside of the tomb where Jesus had you know, regained consciousness in the cool, damp air, and then they frightened away the guards and rescued him. And I'm just saying that there's a lot of weird things out there. The swoon theory. But you got to know what the Bible says. The soldiers, everything validated, verified the fact that he did indeed die. And so uh, he died. They hastily then wrapped him in linen. It's interesting. Um, John talks about how they had a hundred pounds of ointment. And so what they would do, first they would wash the body real good. Then they would wrap him in, uh, in the linen and they would have the fragrant uh, spices and oil in that so it was uh, one of the things they did later the ladies would want to honor him even more with some of the fragrant perfumes but um, they then laid him in a tomb hewn out of a rock they rolled the stone to seal it closed and the ladies and again the Bible says the ladies saw the whole thing 
They saw it. And that's Mark. Remember, Mark's a gospel writer. He's trying to reach the lost with the story. This is what really happened. And, you know, I don't know. But, you know, these ladies love the Lord. They've been ministering to Jesus all this time. And now they go and they see everything take place. And I can just imagine, you know, the, the hurt, the heartache as they're walking home. Not, not only did their dreams die with him, but, you know, they were wondering, how could this happen? I mean, he wasn't just a good man or even a great man. They knew he was the God man. How could this happen? He healed the blind, the lame, the deaf, the mute. They saw him raise the dead. Uh, with, with the exception of Mary of Bethany, they were probably watching the whole thing unfold. And, you know, as they're watching the whole thing unfold, I'll bet you almost anything, they're just waiting for him to make his move. The power move. As he's dying there on the cross, they're just probably waiting. I know, man, something's going to happen right here. But he never made it. He just hung there. And he bled. And he died. And I know this is a silly illustration, but I sometimes I see this in sporting events. You know, in a, in a basketball game, kind of. And forgive me for, you know, do, taking it here, but this is kind of how I am. Or maybe in a boxing match. I remember there was one, uh, Manny Pacquiao. Remember when he fought that one guy I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, and you're watching the fight and you're thinking eventually he's going to do something. Eventually he's going to make his move. Eventually he's going to kick it into gear. You know, eventually he's going to like, you know, just get him. But he, he never did. It's kind of like that. They're watching and they're thinking, okay, I know who he is. I mean, he, all these amazing miracles. He's God, the greatest, the greatest words, the greatest works ever. I know he's going to kick it in until eventually he just breathes his last. They take him down, they put him in a tomb, and then they roll this uh, flat stone, it's circular. They roll it, it's two tons, down into the groove, and they seal it. And then they're on their way home. You know, that two-ton stone weighed heavy on their hearts. Jesus had been crushed that Friday. It was not a good Friday. And they're walking away in all their dreams. Everything about love and life and hope, it was done. They're back to square one and probably even worse. But it's Friday, huh? And you guys know, Sunday's coming. Huh? Isn't that the way it works? And so we read in chapter 16, that when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So who's coming again? The ladies, huh? The sisters. And they want to finish the job. They want to honor their Lord. And, and once again, it's interesting to me, there's no, there's no guys stepping up. They're, they don't even know how they're going to roll that stone away. Maybe, I don't know, what do you guys think? We should probably take a survey here. 
maybe they asked some of the guys, huh, hey Peter, will you go with us? No, I'm busy right now. <laughs> John, hey, anybody want to? No, there's Roman soldiers there. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but here's the sisters. Once again, I would venture to say they must have asked around, but there were no takers, no volunteers. The fellows were afraid, but not the ladies, right? And on their way, however, as they're walking and talking, they're wondering, you know, who's going to roll away the stone from the door? I mean, it's so heavy. But when they arrived, they saw the rock had been rolled. It wasn't an issue. Look at verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. You know, having been to Israel, I can visualize this whole scene. I can just, I can experience this. It'd be cool if you can go with us, but let me just kind of take you there the best that I can. I can put myself in their sandals. I see the, the doorway there. I see the rock rolled away, stooping down into the tomb. There's the angel on the right side, right there next to where Jesus would have lain. And they're, they're, as they're there and they see this whole thing unfold, I, I don't know, they're, they're, they're tripping out that the stone is rolled away and they're freaking out at the sight of this angel from heaven on earth. The other gospels tell us that they're, they're like bright, their clothes as white as snow. And so they see a, an angel, the first thing he says to them, this is probably more accurate, don't have a heart attack. <laughs> That's why what they said, you know, don't be alarmed, don't have a heart attack, stay calm, carry on. You will see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Jesus who died, he's not here. And their hearts are pounding outside their chests. Everything is now in slow motion, probably time stands still. You're seeking Jesus? Yes, that's why we're here. He's why we're here. We seek him. We want to anoint his body. We love him. But he's gone. He's dead. He's done. It's over. And the angel says, no, it's not. Those three words are spoken by the angel. He is risen. He is alive. See the place where they laid him. You know, and, and, and as you're, if you were there, you're, you're seeing the whole thing. What's running through your mind? You know, they were joyful, the other Gospels tells us, and they were afraid simultaneously. Part of them believes, part of them doesn't. Part of them thinks it's too good to be true. Part of it makes uh, perfect sense, but they just know that he would eventually make the move. Maybe this is the move they were thinking he would make in the greatest sorrow in the history of the world because these were the ones who loved him the most. The greatest sorrow in the history of the world was suddenly turning into the, the greatest joy the world has ever seen. And you know, when I think of this moment right here, I think of the moment that we step into heaven. It's going to be something like that. You know, part of it is, can be compared to the moment that we get saved. That's a glorious moment. But man, can you imagine the day that we see angels? We see God. And even though in that day a woman could not testify in the court of law, there we see that women were chosen by God to be the first ones to testify of the empty tomb. 
again, be open, be faithful. God will reward your faithfulness. It's not random that they were the first witnesses and then they went and testified to the ones who would eventually testify. But it started with the ladies. What a reward how they were sent. You know, and the whole resurrection thing, Jesus had predicted it, Matthew 12, 38 through 40, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale uh, three days, you know, that's what he was telling him ahead of time, that he would, you know, do that whole thing, um, John 2, 18 through 22. You know, the, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Because Jesus had gone in their clean house, made some great claims. And so they said, well, show us a sign. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said, hey, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you, will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed this scripture and the word which Jesus had said. All I'm saying is this. When you put your thinking caps on, you know, the one that you want to believe in, is the one that conquers the coffin, who defeats death, who guts the grave. I mean, if you want you know, to, to know that you have life after death, to me it makes perfect sense to follow the one who, who rose from the dead. What sign do you show? This is what I'll do. No one takes my life, I lay it down, and the Father's given me power to raise it up again. I do this with my own strength. I will eradicate death. Death will no longer have a sting on my people. It was prophesied in Psalm 16.10, For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that was quoted by Peter in Acts 2 and Paul in Acts chapter 13. Now as we continue through the story, we're going to see the empty tomb is not enough. Eventually they're going to see the risen Lord himself. But in the meantime, we're going to close with one more verse. In verse 7, he says, But go, the angel says, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, as he said to you. When you read the Gospels, the way that it all went down is the ladies uh, started heading back, um, and they tell the disciples, the disciples come back, with Mary Magdalene, they see Peter and John, the empty tomb. Then she sees the risen Lord. So Mary Magdalene, the one that had seven demons, <laughs> she sees him first. A reward. And then after her, the women see him as they're on the road. These women that loved him so much, they wanted to anoint his body. I'm telling you, man, God will reward the faithful. How huge is the resurrection? They say the cross is the payment for our sins and the resurrection is the receipt. Are you sure you paid it? Yeah, I'm sure. Here's a receipt. It's the capstone of Christianity. Without it, Paul said, we're dead, we're doomed, we're done, we're defeated. But we're not, huh? You guys, are you afraid to die? We're not afraid to die. And even though it hurts and we weep when our loved ones do pass on, we cry with hope. It's a certain certainty about the future that in Christ we'll see them again. How do I know that? Because of what he just did. Let's 
close, if you would, go to John 11. And I just want to close with one more verse. John 11. In verse 25, Jesus is speaking to Martha. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And so, you know, when we pass on, if you believe in Christ, then you will live. You will live in heaven forever and ever with God. Though you pass on, Jesus said, you live. As a matter of fact, in the very next verse, he says something so amazing. He says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die. I remember one time I saw a headline. It was one of the great Christian men of my day. And there was a headline that said, so-and-so died. And I was offended at it. I just said, you know what? That is worded wrong. Jesus said he would never die. He's not dead. He's more alive now than ever. All he's done is what? He's passed on to the other side. Paul the Apostle said, you know, the way that it works, man, is that I just, I just depart. I've departed. I, I'm getting ready to depart. My time is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is later for me a reward in heaven which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. And so for us, you know, understanding the resurrection, and if you get a chance, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about everything we talked about today. Even the verse 58, it says, and, uh, and just keep serving the Lord. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. I mean, we're talking about everything put together, that, that gospel, when you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, knowing that he rose, then you go on to live and to work and to serve. And God just puts it all together. And so today, uh, you know, I, I do encourage you, if you're a Christian, be open. Today might be the most wonderful day of your life where you see something, some type of revelation, some type of movement of the Holy Spirit that you would have never known. Be open. Be faithful. As God you know, calls you to serve uh, Jesus and His body, His church. And, and then thirdly, be brave like Joseph of Arimathea and take those steps of faith as the Lord would lead you in following Him. That's the sub-point, but the main point is what? Believe. He died for your sins. He was put in a grave. And he, and, he, and he rose again in power. And as you believe, as we believe, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, even someone like me, a knucklehead, who was addicted to drugs and still falls short every single day of my life, even me, even you, we're going to go to heaven. Because you're washing the blood of Jesus. Isn't that cool?